Thank you. Morning, everybody. You guys doing okay? Good, good, good. Just apologize for the uh, viral video of me singing that's going around on Facebook. Um, I'm gonna, I might actually sing again this morning just to give the video guys more material to use. Um, guys, it's really great to be together. And uh, I would personally like us to smash those numbers out of the water uh, by the end of the morning. That would be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing if by next Sunday we could say, actually, we had more people volunteer than we actually needed? Wow, you guys really need some warming up this morning. Um, we've got some great opportunities ahead to uh, serve together and go on, uh, on a bit of an adventure. And as Sue said, uh, if you've been around uh, the tracks any kind of length of time, you'll have heard this new adventure that we're on, which is launching a new location. So we're going to be going to three services on a Sunday morning, 9.30, 11.30 here at King's House and 10.30 at the university. And ultimately, the reason we're doing this is that we want more people to meet Jesus. You know, we are an organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. You understand this? That ultimately, this is not just about you and me. This is about people that aren't yet in the room. There are people that don't yet know Christ, which is why the church is always on a mission and an adventure to introduce more people to Christ. That's why we're doing this whole thing. And if that doesn't get you excited, maybe you're in church for the wrong reason. Because ultimately, we're here for lost people, for people who are far from God. And uh, also, if you've been around any length of time, you'll know that a few weeks ago, we did our vision offering to help kind of launch finance into this new adventure. I don't know, would you be interested to know how we got on? All right, this side, much more than this side. Okay, I'm going to work on you guys this morning. Um, so uh, here we go. So this is a, you, you got permission, by the way, to get excited and happy when I announce the figure. So just, just prepare yourself to let your happiness reach your faces and your bodies, just giving you fair and advanced warning. I know British people need that. Um, so uh, we were going, a few weeks ago, we were going for a target of £100,000. This was our second vision offering of the, of the kind of last six months, and so we were going for a target of £100,000. So if you could start your drum roll on your knees now, please. Here we go. Our grand total was... $111,834. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Lord. That is amazing right there. Um, so that, that is made up of uh, roughly £81,000 in actual money given on the day, plus £30,000 worth of pledges. And I just want to say thank you, thank you so much. Thank you that together we are able to do more than we could apart. Together, you know, you put your widow's might in the jar and you think, how far is this really going to go? But actually, when you combine it with everybody else's faith, it combines to something that can truly give glory to God. And so thank you so much for your generosity and forgiving. And actually, across our two gift days, for our two gift days, our total was £230,000. Remember, we had another gift day in October, again, towards the vision of what we're going after this year as a church. So this is the second drum roll moment of the morning. So here we go. Oh, it's already there. Never mind, James. We're working that second service. That's why it's good to have two services. We'll have a second go at that later on. But isn't that amazing as well? 234,000. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? I want us just to pray and thank God. 
Thank you, Father. Lord, we, we just collectively want to say thank you. Thank you that you are so faithful that, Lord, you always provide for that which you order. Thank you, Lord, that you are, you are a God who is among us and no more so than we just see generosity like this. We thank you. It reflects who you are. And I pray that this, every pound, every pence would somehow reach its way into transforming lives in this community. Lord, we pray. We just anoint and bless every single thing that's been given. And we pray, use it, Father to introduce lost people to Christ, to make more disciples, to spread the kingdom in our workplaces and our community. We say, come, Lord Jesus, use this money for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it today. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to Philippians and chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at some verses there together this morning. And as we head into our kind of launch week in two weeks' time, we're starting a new preaching series, and it's called Home. Home. One church, two locations. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, zooming in on some of the things that uniquely are meant to feature as part of our church life, who we're meant to be together. And so this morning, just to kind of kick us off in an easy vein, I want to talk about this. How can we start a rebellion against the idol of self? You're welcome. I, th- I thought it would go down that well. How can we start a rebellion against the idol of self? And so we're going to start by reading some words of uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start my stopwatch so I finish on time. Boom, there we go. All right, this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're just going to pause there. We'll read some more of the passage as we go through. But Paul here is kind of setting up this thought. If you want to be truly radical, truly prophetic in your generation, live for somebody other than yourself. You know, we love going to prophetic conferences, but here Paul has given us a clue how we can be truly prophetic in our generation. Live for somebody other than you. Don't just live for your own interests. Don't just have vain conceit and selfish ambition. Have the same mindset of Jesus who gave himself for other people. And of course, in the day that we live, it's not hard to see that there is a huge problem all around us when it comes to the idol of self interest. And so I want to talk just to start with by the problem that our generation and our culture faces. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13. Anyone seen that movie? Okay, go home and rent that movie this afternoon. This is Netflix homework for you this afternoon. Apollo 13, an amazing movie, and it's a true life story based on Apollo 13, uh, the space launch that hit difficulty as soon as it hit space. And there's that famous line as the astronauts send a message back to Houston, and it simply said this, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) And I'll suggest to you that if our culture was a lunar module, all the lights would be flashing right now, and it would say, 21st century, we have a problem. And the problem is rampant consumerism and entitlement and the idol of self. (laughs) Warning, warning, warning. (laughs) 
The lights are going on the lunar module. <laughs> the problem is self. And, you know, it, it is so endemic. It's just everywhere we go. I mean, just think of yourself going around the supermarket. You know, you can buy fruit from all over the world, in season and out of season. And yet the thing that really ticks you off is that you have to wait more than three minutes in a queue. You can buy 20 varieties of peanut butter. You can, you can have bread like tiger bread and cheese bread and, and sourdough bread and all this kind of bread. And yet you're ticked off because someone is taking longer in the front of the queue. And that queue is going faster than your queue. And, and suddenly you think, what's going on in my life? I've got all these options and yet I'm so ticked off and I'm happy. You know, you can just, those of you that travel in, in airplanes just occasionally, you know, you're traveling in an airplane and you've got the stewards kind of serving you drinks and you've got a thousand movies at your fingertips and you've got Wi-Fi on the sky and yet the thing that really ticks us off is that the plane took off 30 minutes late. I mean, this is just not what I paid for. You're traveling in a metal tube in the sky. <laughs> That's amazing. And yet somehow we have this entitlement. We think, I deserve more. I deserve more. I'm here to consume. I'm here to have the best experience I can possibly have. This is not fair. And I would suggest to you that the, the spirit, and I use that word very deliberately, the spirit of consumerism and entitlement is currently running rampant in our culture and I would suggest to you also in the church. Because if we think the church is not affected by that spirit, then we are kidding ourselves. The spirit of self, where we put self at the center. And Paul is just issuing us a challenge this morning, saying, listen, my challenge to you is get off your proverbial backside and serve somebody other than yourself. Start a rebellion. Be like Jesus, who came and gave his life for others. That's what it looks like to be prophetic in our generation. Live for someone other than you. Live for your next door neighbor. Live for your work colleague. Live to serve someone who can't repay you. That's what it looks like to be like Jesus. So where did this kind of, this idol of self, this idol of kind of consumerism and entitlement begin? Well, of course, you could go right back to the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3 and find out where it really begins. But what about modern culture? Where does this thing kick off for us? Well, if you could just jump in your time machine and go, go back 100 years into the 1920s, which is really when this modern-day consumerism thing began to get a grip in our culture. It really took off after World War I as many countries, particularly in the West, began to try and reinvigorate uh, their economies, which had been incredibly damaged by expensive world wars and high amount of debt. And so Western cultures began to look at ways that they could boost the economy. And one of the ways that they did that was to adopt a new psychological strategy. And it was summed up by Paul Mazar of Lehman Brothers in the USA. He said this, We must shift America from a need to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Does that ring any bells? Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this coincided with mass advertising being used in a new way for the very first time, where people's unconscious desires were linked to products. In other words, if you really want your desires to be filled, you need this product. 
And again, uh, a man called uh, uh, Bernays, Edward Bernays, showed corporations how to help people buy things that they didn't really need. And uh, this is uh, one of his famous kind of adverts here. In, uh, in, uh, in the 1920s, women who were marching for suffrage and for freedom, you'll notice this woman here has got a, a camel cigarette in her right hand. And this lady actually wasn't a suffragette. She was a hired model, hired by Edward Bernays to demonstrate this. If you really want freedom, then you need a cigarette in your hand. In other words, it's linking products with principles, desires with things. This is what Bernays said. He said, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men that we have never heard of. Did you get what he's saying? He's saying it's not just your needs that are being met, but your appetites that are being shaped. Who has shaped in your life the things that you want? Well, it may be someone invisible that you've never met. It's gone really quiet in here. I have got some jokes if we need it, like as we go through. <laughs> and uh, in 1928, uh, an American president, Edward Hoover, uh, Robert Herbert Hoover, was the first politician to embrace this central role of consumerism in society. And this is what he once said to a group of advertisers. He said, you have taken over the job of creating desire and have transformed people into constantly moving happiness machines, machines which have become the key to economic progress. This is where consumerism began. This idea that we're going to boost the economy by giving you an appetite for something that you don't really need. And consumerism began to get a grip. And I would suggest to you that now it's one of the dominant ideologies in the Western world. Probably 1.7 billion people across the world now belong to what's called the consumer class. A group of people who are constantly moving happiness machines. And yet, interestingly, people who, when you rate happiness... On a, on a survey, say that they are the least happy of any generation that's ever been surveyed. I mean, this is just some startling statistics. Take this. The USA spends $19 billion on cosmetics every year. The cost to eliminate child mal malnutrition and poverty would be the same amount of money. 65% of adults in the USA are obese. In the UK, it's one in four kids under the age of 15. We have soaring rates of heart disease and diabetes. We're encouraging, incurring larger debts. We're working longer hours to feed our high-consumption lifestyle. We're spending less time with our friends and family. We're addicted to our screens, and we're always left with the feeling that there must be more. In other words, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> This is the culture that you and I live in. And so what are the impacts then of this on the church? Again, as I said before, if you think that this stuff does not affect you and me, then we're kidding ourselves because this stuff is endemic all around us. And ultimately, <coughs> ultimately, I think a whole generation is being raised to think that this whole thing is really about them, not about Jesus. 
The enemy is creating a narrative in the church that it's all about me, fill with you, and all this is for me, for my glory and my fame. The enemy is creating that narrative, whether subtly or unsubtly, that ultimately the church exists for my benefit. I've gone really quiet in here. I'm really sorry. So how have these things affected the church? Now, I realize that none of these things will apply to you, but it's probably for the person you're sitting next to. So just, just nudge them at this point and say, he's probably talking to you. Just, just nudge, nudge the person. Just say, you probably really need to hear what he's about to say. So, so how do these things affect the church? Well, lots of different ways. But number one, rampant individualism. Rampant individualism in the church. We, we live in the, it must fit me society. Which means it's very easy to approach church like you're approaching a supermarket. Ultimately, the church exists to meet my needs. And so when I come to church on a Sunday, I want to sit in my favorite seat. I want to park in a car parking space that's not too far away. And I want my children to come out of kids' work with their faces beautifully painted. I want the message to be no more than 22 and a half minutes. I want them to sing my favorite songs. I want the favorite musicians to be in the band. You know, I, I, I want to get home in time to watch the match. I don't want to be late out of church. You know, I want it to be, I want the coffee to be really high quality. And I want the PowerPoints to be good. I want everything to be on point to meet my needs. You know, I'm amazed how ticked off some people get when you park them far from the building. Remember, that might be for the neighbor you're sitting next to right now. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that churches can ultimately become religious supermarkets where we consume religious goods and services rather than it be a family that we belong to? Particularly when the church gets larger. Because it means you can show up and not serve and not give and consume and leave and nobody will notice. You go to a church of 30 people, people are pretty soon going to notice if you're not pitching in. <laughs> but you can turn up here week to week and consume and people may never notice. And you're happily worshipping, sitting in a seat that somebody else paid for, drinking a cup of coffee that someone else served, parking in a space that someone else showed you to. And ultimately, you've started to treat the church like a religious supermarket. This is what one writer said. Jeffrey McDonald says, I'm concerned with the fact that churches are growing in many cases by serving up something that people seem to want, but not something that's holding fast to the gospel. And can I just respectfully say, with as much love as I can say it, if your attitude is to come to this church purely to consume, but never to give, please go somewhere else. There are plenty of great churches, but ultimately we exist for people that are not yet part of us. We exist to create a seat for someone that does not yet know Christ. And we are here to serve, to empower and lift them up. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And, you know, I realize there are seasons sometimes where Maybe we, we feel a bit beaten up, spiritually beaten up, where actually we need to come for a season just to receive. 
I get that. I've been in that season. Sometimes we fly, I'm all served out. I've fired all my best bullets and I just need to come and have people love me and look after me. I get that. I know there are those seasons. But listen, that season is not meant to last forever. And sometimes your healing is found in giving yourself to somebody else. Some of you healed up well enough and now it's time to start giving. And then the second part of your healing will start. Second impact on the church can be what I would call a throwaway culture. And again, you know, part of the issue of consumerism is that we consume goods and services and then we throw them away once they're outdated or they're of no use anymore. You know, think disposable cameras and plastic bags and stuff that we, you know, iPhone. How many of us get a new phone every two or three years, even though this one still works okay? You know, there was shock horror this week as uh, Sadio Mane, who's a Liverpool footballer, was shown walking to the dressing room with an iPhone with a cracked case. I mean, this is like a multi-millionaire football player. And someone asked him, why don't you get yourself a new phone? And he said, because this one works perfectly well. And he says, the reason that I make money is that I can give away as much as I can. Isn't that amazing? And yet for so many of us, we're like, yeah, two years, still works fine, I'll get something new. Because we live in this disposable kind of throwaway culture. And ultimately what that can lead to in the church is this kind of disposable version of belonging to church. Again, I don't, I don't belong in the sense of making covenant and making friendship and getting involved and belonging and becoming part of something that I feel is my own. And no, 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 I have a disposable version of church. And if I get offended, I'll just leave. I'm amazed how people, many people leave church without even saying so much as a goodbye. See you later. Thanks for having me. And if we can leave a church without anyone noticing, I would suggest that you've treated this like a club rather than a family. I would notice if my kids stopped coming round to my house because of relationship. Someone should notice if you stop coming. And if they don't, I would suggest you that you've made this somewhere to attend rather than something to belong to. In families, you notice if people stop showing up. I'm not saying that you should know everybody in this room. That's impossible. But you should know at least 10 people. Church cannot become this disposable thing that I just take and leave and I, I, I graze. I get a bit of what I want here. I get a bit of what I want over here. That's not biblical church. Biblical church is family. It's brothers. It's sisters. It's living life alongside one another. It's one anothering. It's serving for each other's benefit. That's church. I think another impact of consumerism in the church is what I would call unnatural growth, which is the feeling that I deserve more by doing less. I would like promotion without any of the work. I won't ask for a response if anyone's ever felt like that. You know, someone once said this, I'm not sure if I should thank my neighbor for the free wireless or complain about their slow speeds. <laughs> That's entitlement right there. I want to patch into something for free, but actually I deserve more. And so many of us live with this kind of entitled worldview of I deserve more. It's my basic human right to have more by doing less. Well, again, I'm sorry to break it to you, but that is not in the Bible. 
in the Bible, the way that you grow is through making powerful, godly choices. The way that you grow is by walking with Jesus. The way that you grow is through faithfully saying yes in the small things and the big things, the seen things and the unseen things. There is no shortcut to character in Scripture other than walk your life with Jesus and live your life well. And then ultimately the gift will make way for the giver. But we want unnatural promotion before our time. Promotion before our characters can handle it. That is so dangerous. You know, I want highly gifted people, but also people who are highly gifted in character. You know, I remember years and years ago when I, I was probably about 23 at the time. I'd come out of university, uh, relatively newly married, been married for a couple of years. And uh, I, I, all I really wanted to do with my life was to go and plant a church. So all I, it was really my only ambition. I didn't have any other career path in my head at that moment. I was like, I just want to go and get involved in a church. I want to preach. I want to lead worship. And I want to do all this stuff. And uh, so I remember Carol and I, we decided, right, our time in Newcastle, which is where we were living, is done. We're going to find a great opportunity so that we can do all the stuff that we want to do. And so I remember we visited a church plant, and we thought, yep, we're going to go there. Didn't consult anybody. Didn't talk to anybody. And so we arranged a farewell dinner with our pastor and his wife. Basically to say, see you later. Thanks for having us. And so we were sitting there. It was all going, the evening was going really, really well, I thought. And then uh, it kind of came to kind of dessert time. And I was like, oh, you know, Ian and Heather, I've got something to just want to share with you. Thanks so much for having us the last three years. We've decided we're leaving. We're going to go, we're going to go move to Leicester. And we're going to go and plant a church. And they said they really want to use all our gifts. And they're going to make loads of space and room for us. And it's going to be really exciting. And da 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 da. And Ian looked at me at one of those pastoral faces. And he's like, Phil, he said, Can I just challenge you on something? Can I just give you an alternative choice? I was like, Oh, yeah, go on then. He's like, You could move and have all your giftings used, and that would be fine. Or you could give me two more years and I'll work on your character. <laughs> I felt very offended by that remark. But you know what? Instant, I just knew it was God. I thought, I have been so stupid. My, my desire for gifting to be used has gone way ahead of what my character right now is actually able to handle. We want unnatural growth. But you know, the truth is that God prunes the tree so that it can handle the weight of fruit later on. <laughs> For some of you, if God gave you the fruit now, your branch would break because your character can't handle it. And so we cannot circumnavigate God's way of growing us properly. So what is the antidote to all of this? How do we get around this? Well, Paul gives us the answer in Philippians 2, and he's like, Essentially, you need to live your life like Jesus lives. Here's the model and template for you about how you start this rebellion against self. And he starts by saying this in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I love this. Because Jesus understood who he was. He was in very nature God, and yet that did not make him greedy. It made him generous. 
Do you get that? His sense of identity caused him to not elevate himself, but to lay his life down for others. And this is one of the true fruits of you getting your identity as a son and a daughter is not that you want to elevate yourself, but that you want to serve others. That is the true fruit of Father Heart Ministry. You want to be like Jesus. You want to be like him. And Jesus understood this. I've been raised up by the Father so that I can pour out. I've been blessed by God so that I can be a blessing. Do you understand that? God has made you great so that you can serve. He's given you more than most generations have ever enjoyed. Why? So that you can richly bless other people with what God has freely given you. You can be like Jesus. You can give away as he gave away. And the idea of identity is not to make you proud. It's actually to make you humble. You see, if the message of the Father heart lands on a foundation of entitlement, secretly you will think that you deserve what God has given you. It's my basic human right to be forgiven by God. Uh-uh. If the grace of God lands on a foundation of entitlement, you will become a spiritually spoilt brat. But if you understand, if the grace of God lands on this understanding, I was lost without a trace. I did not deserve the mercy of God. And yet he found me when I was stinking and lost and far away. He raised me up with Christ. Oh my gosh. That's a game changer. That means I can never live life proud ever again. Because I've received mercy from a, I'm a high and exalted and, and an incredibly holy God. It makes you humble. It makes you bow down low. It makes you say, Father, what can I do for you? How can I serve? How can I be like you? That's the fruit of the gospel and it lands on the right foundation. And, and notice that Jesus particularly, he gives away to people that cannot repay him. I hate to break it to you, but the Del Boy gospel of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours is not in the Bible. I'll do you a good turn. That means you deserve me a good turn. That's not in scripture. (laughs) This is what's in scripture. Jesus says in Luke 14, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Did you get that? You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Here's my question to you. Who are you giving to that cannot repay you? Who are you serving that cannot reciprocate? Who are you just being lavishly generous to and they've got nothing to give you in return? Well, if you're living that kind of lifestyle, you're living the lifestyle of Jesus who is in very nature God, and yet served the least and the last. That's Jesus' way. Live your life in a way that people cannot repay. And incidentally, this is one of the reasons why having a heart for the poor is so critical to Christian living. Because when you prioritize the poor, you prioritize those that God prioritizes. He came for the poor. Secondly, the second way you can start a a rebellion is this. It's just to reclaim the power of servanthood. Verse 7, we read this. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And the word for servant here is the word doulos, the Greek word doulos, which literally means bond slave. Jesus was in very nature God. And yet he made himself a bond slave. 
Literally someone who exists and lives to serve. And here is the truth. Jesus was in very nature God. Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of God's being. That he is the radiance of the Father's glory. So what does Jesus show us as he gets low to serve? He actually shows us what God is eternally like. God is the ultimate servant king. He's the ultimate servant king. He's one who is continually giving of himself for others. That's what God is like. And here's the truth. Now that you're in Christ, you've been made to be like God. Which means serving is not just something you do. A servant is someone that you are. See, I don't know if any of you remember those old nature shows with David Bellamy. Anyone remember David Bellamy? Okay, for those of you who don't, just humor me just for a moment. David Bellamy had this massive, great, bushy beard. And he'd, he'd always be like in the Amazon undergrowth, like looking for lost species of gorilla. And, you know, he'd be like, oh, here's a, here's a gorilla in its natural habitat, eating a banana. Like he was that guy, you know. And, and so if David Bellamy was looking at Christians, serving, he'd be like, oh, here's a Christian. And they're serving other people. This is their natural habitat. Because this is just what, who they are. This is just what they do. This is what Christians are like. See, when you're not living to serve someone else, you're living contrary to your new nature in Christ. Serving is not just something you do by signing up to a rotor. Serving is your lifestyle. Because you're like him. You're like Christ. Steve Sojan says this. He says, we love, serve, and care for others because that is normal behavior for people who are filled with God's spirit. You know, for you to be a Christian and not to serve is like a cup of tea trying to be a cup of coffee. You know, for you to be a Christian and not to serve is like, you know, trying to be a biscuit rather than a pavlova. You know, serving is just what you do because you're filled with the spirit of God. He goes on, he says, we are Christians and Christ was the ultimate servant. We can't help but serve because the spirit of the servant has filled our hearts. So when we serve, we are just being who we naturally are. See, I hope if you, if you live a life of not serving, I hope that you will feel very unhappy about that situation before too long. And the reason is it's not your natural habitat. It's just natural for you to serve. Because you've been made to be like Jesus. Next, humble yourself and embrace the cross. We read that Jesus was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on the cross. Again, how do you, how do you start a rebellion against self? Live in humility. The word humility literally means emptied of himself. Emptied of self-reliance. Live in that kind of a way. Humble. You know, and I've noticed things about humble people. Humble people are encouragers. Humble people are learners. And also humble people are very thankful people. See, if you feel entitled, you will not say thank you very much. But if you know I don't deserve any of this, all of this is a gift, you'd be saying thank you all the time. You know, I read the story of one Yorkshire couple. And if you're from Yorkshire, this will tickle you but um Yorkshire couple and one after 25 years of marriage the wife comes to her husband and complains and she's like you never tell I'm not going to do the Yorkshire accent you never tell me that you love me 
and her husband looked back and said, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. Ultimately, love that remains unexpressed is not love. Thankfulness without the expression of giving thanks is not thankfulness. In other words, you may feel thankful in your heart all the time, but never actually say it out of your mouth. Well, that's not thanksgiving. Thanksgiving needs to be expressed, which means every single hot meal you get at home, say thank you for it. Every time somebody serves you and parks your car on a Sunday morning, just wind the window down, thank you so much. Every time someone does something kind to you at work, just say thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Say thank you 25 times a day. There you go. There's my challenge to you. It's your homework. 25 times a day. Just say thank you for something because Thanksgiving promotes humility. And then lastly, remember this, that someone else is rightfully at the center of the universe and it's not you and me. <laughs> this is what Paul says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, only one person could go to the cross for our redemption. There was only one sinless savior. There was only one king who could leave his throne and rescue us and his name is Jesus. He is at the center. And ultimately, you were actually born as a consumer but you're actually born to consume him. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You are born for him. And when you spend your appetites on lesser pleasures, you are reducing your life rather than embracing the thing that God has called you to, to live a life of wonder and worship in his presence. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we're going to land just slightly early this morning. And the reason for that is going to give some of you who maybe have not had a chance to serve on serving teams that Sue mentioned earlier, going to give you a chance before you have to go and get your children just to go and sign up. And it may be at this stage you're not even sure what you want to do. You may just want to put your name down and just say, sign me up. I just want to do something. I don't want to be a bystander. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be in the family. I want to grow. I want to participate. I want to give. And so we're going to land slightly early. It's going to be a team out in the foyer uh, looking after all the different serving needs that we have across the church. And so I just want to encourage you guys just to go and make your way to that table if you're not serving in a team already. And these guys will chat to you and help fit you into the right teams. Uh, but as we finish, why don't we just stand together? I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much that you, though you were rich, you became poor. So that we, though we were poor, we could become rich. Lord, we just thank you today for the power of the gospel, Lord, for the power of a God who comes to serve. And Lord, as we, as we launch into this new adventure of two locations, God, may we launch it with this spirit of rebellion against the culture and the spirit of the age. God, help us to be those that give ourselves for the sake of others, that lost people might find Christ. 
wherever we find ourselves. Father, do something in our hearts this morning that changes us. Lord, for those that are serving faithfully and have for many years, just encourage us this morning that we are living under the pleasure of Father God, that we're living lives that reflect you in this universe. Father, I pray for those that serve sacrificially. May they just feel your well done, good and faithful servant as they leave this room today. Father, be with us in these things. We want to grow in this. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We're going to land. Make your way to the back if you want to go and sign up on a team. Ben.